0: Well, uh, last week, Pastor Chuck kicked off a new series for us um, called Tuned In, The Gospel According to Paul. Um, and then what we're doing in this series is we're taking a look at all of Paul's sermons that he spoke in the book of Acts, which is pretty interesting. If you were to take each of Paul's sermons and you were to line them up in the book of Acts and then just compare and contrast them, what you'd find is Paul says some pretty dramatically different things depending on the people that he's talking to. If he's, if he's talking to a Jewish audience, he would say very Jewish-sounding things, refer to the Old Testament all the time, talk about how Jesus is the fulfillment of all this stuff in the prophets in the Old Testament. And then if you see Paul speak to Gentiles, people that are, are not Jewish in, in any way, Paul speaks very differently. In fact, there's a couple instances where, where Paul says he's preaching the good news and he never even mentions Jesus by name, which is kind of interesting to think about. And so you wonder what in the world is Paul doing? Well Paul is preaching the gospel to a particular people um, with a, in a particular way so they can actually hear it because we all hear the gospel differently depending on where we come from and our background and maybe the baggage we bring um, in our lives as well. All of that stuff the good news speaks into it um, very differently. It doesn't mean that the gospel um, changes per se but it does, however, resonate with each of us differently in different ways. And Paul was a master of uh, doing that in different contexts that he found himself. In fact, Paul talks about this a little bit in 1 Corinthians. He says, I've become all things to all people so that by all means I might save some. That's part of how Paul preached the gospel. And we think in the series that what we want us to notice is that God wants us to preach the gospel in a similar manner to the way that Paul did there are people in our lives that are struggling and they have particular concerns and particular baggage and particular backgrounds and all of those things and the gospel needs to be preached to them in such a way that it comes off as good news to them in their particular lives that they find themselves in it's really quite interesting if you think about it. followers of Jesus are called to proclaim the gospel in such a way that others might be able to hear it. And so we want to examine Paul's teaching and his preaching in the book of Acts to get just a flavor of what that might look like. Um, Our scripture reading this morning is Acts 14, verses 8 through 18. If you have your Bible, I'd encourage you to grab it and open it up. Um, Acts 14, 8 through 18. Um, Our scripture reader this morning is Dean Demore. Dean, wherever you're at, you can head on up to... The center of the room what we do here folks if you're able to is we stand and we face the center of the room um, where the scripture is read we do so because this book in all its entirety shows us the clearest picture of the gospel of Jesus so we take that very seriously so Dean when you're ready
1: take it away in Lystra there sat a man who was lame he had been that way from birth and had never walked he listened to Paul as he was speaking Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, Stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, The gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside of the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd, shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human, like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way. Yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they, even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Thanks, Dean. You all may take a seat.
0: Now to really capture um, what's going on here, I want to ask a couple questions for you to think about. Um, The first is this, um, who is the most famous person you have met? Who is that? Think about that a second. And then the second question, um, when you met that person in the moment, how did you react to meeting that person? You got that? Now as you think about that, take a moment and turn to your neighbor and why don't you share your answer to those two questions a second. So go ahead. Now, folks, as I stand up here and look around, I see a lot of smiling and a lot of giggling. And I think that's for a reason, because some of us, when we meet famous people, what happens is we are cool and we are calm and collective and just perfect humans, right? And then there's the other maybe smaller portion we'll say be generous that meet famous people and we lose our bananas right you, maybe some of you have been there and we just make ourselves look really bad um, I had an experience like that um, I know the date that I had that experience it was the day before 9-11 September 10 2001 I was at a Michael W. Smith concert um, a friend a friend had got backstage passes these VIP passes so we came early to the show and we got to go behind the stage and check out the cool band and the music and instruments and all that fun stuff. And then part of the deal was you got to have like a seven second long conversation. Just you and Mikey D together. It was amazing. Mikey Dubs. And so I was standing in line waiting for this great moment where I got to meet the Michael W. Smith. It was going to be amazing. And so I'm standing in line and suddenly this anxiety washed over me. I was in ninth grade and I Realized I didn't know what I would say. Like, what do you say to Michael W. Smith when you meet this guy? I didn't know. And so, what happens to me when I get anxious is I begin to sweat, like profusely sweat, from the neck down, just covered, dripping sweat. So, I was sitting in line and sweating pretty dramatically, really nervous, and I didn't know what I was going to say. What do you say to Mikey W. Smith? What do you say to this guy? I don't know. And I'm thinking about it and thinking about it. And before I know it, this guy grabs my arm and I look over and it's a security guy and he walks me up to Michael W. Smith and then I find myself staring Michael W. Smith in the eyes, no idea what to say, covered in sweat, probably look really gross to Michael W. Smith. And in the moment, not knowing what to do, I took my sweaty mitt and grabbed Michael W. Smith by the hand really firmly, just drenched, sweaty, nasty, and then shook his hand pretty violently and said, I'm your biggest fan! Which, which wasn't true. I just made it up. I didn't know what else to say. And I remember Michael Levy Smith takes his hand kind of, kind of nicely, but in a sort of violent manner and pulls his hand back like this, the sweat, like it's pretty slippery. It's pretty gross at this point. And then he looks at me, I remember this, he squints his eyes kind of like this and he says, Okay. And then the security guard takes me and then I walk away and that's the whole thing and immediately I'm filled with regret like what did I just do I made a fool out of myself this is terrible um, as Michael W. Smith's famous song goes friends are friends forever right we know this song um, unless you make a sweaty fool out of yourself in front of him then you're not a friend with him probably ever as would be my guess now I wanted us to think about those celebrity moments where we meet a famous person because when we meet famous people, there's that moment of anxiety and excitement kind of mixed together, right? Like you're about to meet an icon that makes you a little nervous. Then there's the excitement because you're about to meet an icon. Like that's going to be a really big deal for you. And you feel both of those feelings, that, that anxiety and that excitement, all at the same time. Now, that feeling is probably the exact feeling that the people of Lystra in our scripture reading were feeling. Almost certainly that's what they were feeling. Um, Paul and Barnabas, they come into the city of Lystra to preach the gospel, to preach the good news of Jesus. And Lystra is this city filled to the brim with pagan people. Like, there's no Jews to be seen. It's all Gentiles, all pagan people. And the locals, um, nearly all of them, believed in the Greco-Roman gods, right? Like the Roman pantheon. In fact, in that day, there was this old legend about the Roman gods. Um, 50 years before Paul would step into this town of Lystra, um, there would be a man named Obed, And Obed rediscovered this ancient legend in the area near Lystra. And the ancient legend was about two of the Greek gods coming down and hiding themselves in kind of human bodies and making their way around the area. Now that story... I want to share it with you a moment because it really helps to peel back the layer of what's going on in this passage and really how Paul responds the way he does. This is Obed's legend. you ready for it. Okay. One time, hundreds, or perhaps a thousand years ago, um, the gods Zeus, and Hermes. They disguise themselves in human bodies. They make their way down to um, the land where all the humans are, around the area of Lystra, into the hill country there and they walk the hill country, and the sun starts to set. And as the sun is setting, the gods realize, oh my goodness, I need to find a place to sleep for the night. And so both Hermes and Zeus make their way to home after home after home, asking the people there, do you have a place where we can lay our head? And all the people of those homes continue to say, no, no, no. They visit a thousand homes, and every single home says, no, we can't take you in. Until they get to one, home. It's this small shack looking home. There's not much to it. It's a poor couple that lives there. The poor couple answers the door and Zeus and Hermes say, hey, uh, do you have a place where we could lay our head tonight? And this poor couple says, of course. And they let them in and they feed them and they don't even have the money to feed them, but they do it anyway and they take good care of Zeus and Hermes. And in the morning when Zeus and Hermes rise and they leave, they're so thankful for this couple that they turned their home into a giant temple for Zeus and then they transform this poor couple into priests for the temple and then Zeus and Hermes take their anger out on the thousand other homes where they didn't have a place to lay their head and they burn their homes to the ground and then the gods disappear. This is the legend of Obed. This is what everyone in Leicester would have known. They would have known this story and then Paul and Barnabas show up on the scene and they enter the city of Lystra and Paul sees a man who couldn't walk. And so Paul works with this man and this man is healed and it's this miraculous moment. It's absolutely something outside of human capacity. No one else could have done this. It's clearly um, something mystical in a sense. You see, the people of Lystra saw this And they would have thought, of course, of course, Hermes and Zeus, they disguise themselves as humans again. And this time they disguise themselves to look like this Barnabas and this Paul. And the crowd gets really excited and the crowd gets really nervous about them because the gods don't care about people. The gods don't want to be around people. Yet the gods, according to Lystra, well, apparently they were in their midst and so they're excited and they're nervous. They don't want to be the thousand homes that were burned. They want to be that one couple that got blessed. That's what they want to be. So there's this anxiety and there's this excitement. And so the crowd goes kind of bananas for Paul in Barnabas. You can read this uh, in verse 11. If you have your Bible, take a look at it. It says when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus whose temple was just outside the city brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. They didn't want to be the thousand homes. They wanted to be the one. They wanted to be the one that was blessed, not the one that was cursed. And so Paul sees all of this madness happening, and Paul does what Paul does best. He feels a sermon rise up. You can see it. It's like right in his gut, and you can see it come up, right? And he has to say something, and so Paul starts speaking. If you look in uh, verse 15 of our scripture reading, you can see what Paul says. Paul says, friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. You see, what Paul does in his sermon is he sees these people in Lystra and I bet he knows the context. He knows the story of Obed. I bet he does. And he starts to compare and contrast. Well, what what do Hermes and Zeus do? And then what does what he calls this living God do? You see, Zeus and Hermes, they offer a conditional relationship to the crowds. That's what they do. Take care of the gods and the gods might take care of you. If you do not take care of the gods, The gods will certainly not take care of you. And then you have Paul's sermon, and he speaks of this living God, and it's so much different. This living God, Paul says, is here to bring you what? Good news. And that's it. Just good news. There's no bait and switch. It's just plain good news. Paul says that the living God has only come to bring good news to the people of life, where there's nothing conditional about it at all. It's simply good news. That God manifested so perfectly in Jesus. The living God is not interested in a tit-for-tat relationship, a balancing of the scales. This God is only interested in your flourishing, in your cities flourishing, in your families flourishing. Look, Jesus did not come to this earth to make you a deal. He didn't. Jesus came to offer us good news with no strings attached at all. And this is hugely important to understand. There are many religions in the world, and from what I can tell, most all of them have a commonality. Almost all of them do. Is that if you peel back the layers of each religion what you'll see is you'll see this balancing of the scales you gotta perform for God and then God will perform for you you got to perform for the gods and the gods will perform for you if you do bad things bad things will happen to you if you do good things good things will happen to you if you do xyz you get something in return and frankly if you look around our world It kind of makes sense that all of these religions exist because the world feels a lot like that sometimes doesn't it it feels conditional it's tit-for-tat it's a balancing of the scales um how many of us get a little uncomfortable when someone gives us a gift that is completely unmerited like there's no reason for it at all but they just give you a gift how many of you get uncomfortable by that I know I do like a friend buys us a gift or, or a friend mows our lawn while we're at work and then you're like, oh no, now I've got to do his lawn next week because I've got to get, right? You know what I'm talking about. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And something about that makes us uncomfortable because we feel like it creates this weird, strange imbalance in the force or something like that, right? Like there's an imbalance in the relationship. We might even feel like we owe that person or we're even lesser than that person as long as we don't return the favor maybe we're going to mow their lawn next week there we go now we feel okay about all this right and what we feel in these moments is a conditionality of the world the world is based on the set of scales all the other religions are based on a set of scales and sometimes we take that set of scales and we place it on our faith in Jesus don't we if if I just prayed more or if I read my Bible more, if I just cleaned up that sin habit, if I just did a little bit more there, then finally God would return the favor. He'd bless me, right? That's how it works, we say. Or, or the opposite. If I sin... Or if I fall short in some way, or if I lie, or, or I cheat, or I break God's rules, or whatever it may be, then we assume that God's got it out for us, right? We have tilted the scales in a bad way, and God needs payback. God's got to even the scales back out again in our lives, in the world. You know, when I was in the Army, I was in basic training when Hurricane Katrina hit. I remember because several of my fellow soldiers, they went home for a while because their homes were really um, ravaged by um, the hurricane. I remember sitting in a small group of guys, soldiers, and we're watching TV and just watching the awful flooding and the people that are displaced. It's just an awful situation to watch. New Orleans was kind of the main stage of that, right? And I remember several people saying this. Several people saying, well, yeah, they're getting what they deserve. It must be God providing payback for all of the sins that have accumulated and now God's got to write the scales again, right? You probably heard that. I heard that. God's got to pay people back for their bad behavior and reward them for the good behavior. But then we get to Paul. And he teaches the the people of Lystra who have believed their whole lives in this scale type thing with their God and with their culture that the gods are conditional and distant toward us. But, But Paul says, but it's different with this living God. It's different. You see, our God is gracious and is abundant toward us. Our God is gracious and abundant toward us even when we don't deserve it. Our God chooses to be. I can't imagine being in Lystra and hearing that. It's probably the first time I've ever heard something like that before. That's not, that's not how the gods work. And we might even be thinking, that's not how the world works at all. But it's good news because God is gracious toward us. Perhaps it's a revolutionary thought for you today to think that God is truly gracious and present toward you in your life right now. I mean, what if we really believed that God was unconditionally loving and present to us even when we were in the midst of our worst sin patterns of our lives? What if we actually believed that? Like even when we feel defective for all the things that we've done wrong or perhaps we feel defective because all these things were done to us in our past and we just feel broken or cracked because of that. We think there's no way that, that God would want to be around this. It's just too bad the scales have tilted the other way. It's not going to work. But God chooses to be gracious and present with us even in the midst of our brokenness. What if we believe that? See, that's exactly what God has already done in Jesus. It's exactly what He's done. Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us, right? We've heard that before. But not in the middle of our righteousness or our Perfect ability to follow the rules or to live the right moral life or whatever to worship at all hours a day whatever we think that looks like no 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 Jesus came and he dwelt among us in the middle of our mess in a messy world Jesus dared step into our mess that's the gospel as you read this this is the gospel according to Paul that Jesus chooses to come near us, you and me, despite our brokenness and failure and hard-heartedness and sin, and you fill in the blanks from there. You see, when we really come to believe that, it changes everything in our lives. It changes everything. You know that it changes everything. Even if you're here this morning and you're like, I don't even know if I believe in this Jesus stuff at all. You know what grace feels like, though. You do. You know, uh, there's many times I come home from work and maybe it was a stressful day and I come home and now it's summer break, meaning like the kids are home all day. You know what that's like, parents, right? And you walk in the door and it's like they're, they drank a bunch of Red Bull or something like that and they're running around the house screaming like with their shirts off. I don't know what's going on. It's crazy. It's like a jungle at our house or something. And I'm stressed and I walk into the middle of that and it just makes me angry immediately and so I snap at my kids. Like, go outside. Be quiet. The whole long list of things that are, my kids are doing wrong. And I'm angry and I'll sit down on the couch and then my daughter will come up to me, maybe you've experienced this and she'll give me a hug without asking and say, Dada I love you, that's grace that's grace and what Jesus offers is so much more than that so much more than that Jesus Jesus offers infinitely greater unconditional love and presence than even my daughter can Give. And when we truly accept it, it changes us. It really does. That anxiety and excitement that the, the Lystrans felt, that anxiety and excitement that I felt when I met Michael W. Smith, all of that kind of stuff falls away, and all that's left is gratitude. And gratitude transforms every part of our lives. It does. Just being thankful for a present God that's willing to step into the mess of our lives And be with us. The question for you this morning. Do you long for an unconditional relationship like that in your life? Are you looking for that? Because honestly the only place you're really going to find that is in Jesus. That's it. You know maybe this morning you're here and you're not sure what to think of this whole Christianity thing, this whole Jesus thing, this whole gospel thing. You're here, and and maybe you've lived a really rough life, and you just, like, morals don't mean much to you. I don't know where you're at. Or maybe you're here and you've had this kind of on and off relationship with with, with your faith, right? Like you live a really bad life and you're closed off from God and then you find yourself in God's presence again and then you open back up and you're faithful to God and you love Jesus and then something happens and then suddenly you find yourself closed back off to God and then there's this moment of revitalization where you come back into God's graces, right? And you're with God again and it's on and off and on and off. If you have no faith or your faith stutters, and I bet all of us at Least fit in there somewhere. God is present with you in the middle of it. Right in the middle of it. God can handle it. He's gracious to you. He's not like the Roman pantheon. He's not out to get you. He loves you. He's the living God. Do you long for that this morning? If you do, I challenge you Go to the prayer wall at the end of the service and, and do business with God. Do it. Spend time with him. Enjoy his presence. Enjoy his grace. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for Paul's message uh, to those in Lystra God, we thank you that in a world that seems like there's always the balancing of the scales that you transcend all of it, you don't play that game, God. You just choose to come near. And there's no, about, no amount of like, just badness or, or, or sin or the stench of brokenness, God, that you can't handle. You'll step into all of it. You already did at the cross, God. You already did. Help us believe that, God. For the first time, for the thousandth time, God, help us to remember that you're a God who chooses to be near and present to us. We pray all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. I receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord raise his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen, church.